0: Well, it's good to be here. It has been eight years. It doesn't seem like that. It seems like yesterday I was fishing with the with the guys down at uh, Loyal Hannah, but it's good to be back. It's good to be present with you. It's it a it's a joy to worship with you. It really is. Um, this morning, Hebron is beginning a new series, as you see, The Rescue. It's on the letter to the Galatians, and as, as I understand it, this is a year-long endeavor. Is that right? Okay, so... My aim this morning is to help introduce the series and also the letter. It's a dynamic letter. It's a dangerous letter. So I encourage you to read it. Um, It is likely the earliest letter from the Apostle Paul and it is certainly one of his most passionate letters. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to, I guess it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This morning I'd like to look at several aspects to this deliverance or this rescue. The eternal rescue, the daily rescue, the goal of the rescue, and the heart of the rescue. But let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us in your name. Thank you for being present with us. And we pray that we would sense and know and believe that you are God who is with us and has rescued us now and for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, the eternal rescue. Uh, From the onset of this letter, the Apostle Paul tells us why Jesus came. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In the ESV, it's deliver, and the NIV, it's rescue. Either way, it kind of connotes the same thing. But notice the word choice, right? If you walk into a store and someone asks you, may I help you? Do you need assistance? You might be annoyed, but you're not going to be offended. But if you walk into a store and someone says, you look like you need to be rescued. How can I deliver you? You might take a different stance. Paul begins his letter with a loud declarative truth that Christ came into the world to rescue. Paul's not talking about lending a hand or giving assistance or giving us a spiritual booster shot. He is a rescuer. Now, I'm sure all of you have had to be rescued at some point in your lives. Maybe it was a dramatic rescue. I I picture, the. sometimes you see those flood victims who are on roofs, the raging waters. I mean, they need to be rescued, right? Maybe you've done something foolish like me. I've, I've gone hiking in the woods, and I leave my car parked and I come back, and what's wrong with my car? The battery's dead, right? It's not a standard. Middle of the woods, what do I need outside intervention? I need someone else to show up and help me. Why did Jesus come according to Paul? He came for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age, to rescue. Now, I'll be honest with you, as I was uh, reading this, this phrase, the present evil age, caused me to pause and think. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was sitting up in the picturesque uh, Pennsylvania Alleghenies, and I was reading this text, getting ready, and, and so there I am, you know, the beautiful trees, uh, I saw an eagle, an osprey, I saw a black bear, I mean, it's just beautiful, right? I, I think I actually used the word heavenly. The setting did not feel or look evil. But then I went on a, a little hike, and uh, as I was walking through the woods, I came upon some trees, and a particular tree is a beech tree. Actually, I think that's a beech tree. And, and, and I didn't know this, but I, I came to realize that even though they're these tall, powerful, you know, strong-looking, beautiful trees, they've all been infected with a blight, they're all diseased. And so they look strong, but actually they're dead. <laughs> and and many of them are dying. And there is presently no cure in the northeastern part of the United States, so that they will all be gone in a generation from now. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, we have lived in a fallen, broken, diseased, and evil world. And every generation since has inherited a world of pain and sorrow. And death and every generation contributes and perpetuates the situation. Individually and corporately, we have rebelled against God. We have said we know how to do it our way. And despite sometimes putting on a good show, we're just like the beech tree, which may look strong and beautiful on the outside, but internally we are dead and dying. And so we need to be rescued. But there's good news, and this is what Christ has come to do. Paul says it similarly in Colossians. In the beginning of that letter, he says, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has rescued us and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And although we don't find it in these five verses that we looked at here, we will see later, you will see as you read Paul's letter, that we have been delivered into a new creation. In other words, Christ's rescue not only delivers us from the present evil age, it assures us of the the new age, the new life to come. We are promised eternal life. And Paul even ends his letter by saying that it's all about being a new creation in Christ. That's what matters, that you are a new creation in Christ. And so the promise of this we see in our verses when he talks about resurrection. Paul mentions right from the beginning that Christ has been risen from the dead. The assurance that he is the firstborn, the firstfruits of that new creation. And one day we will see him and we will be like him. And you can't make this stuff up, right? That's why Paul is so adamant at the beginning of his letter of, of holding on to his authority as apostle because he didn't make this up. No human made this up. This is God's truth, God's revelation, this great rescue that brings eternal life. In that new creation, there will be no more disease, no more CT scans, no more dialysis machines. In that new creation, no more relationship pangs, no more backstabbing, no more racial slurs, no more marital strife. In that new creation, no more evil, no more suicide vests, no more sexual slave trade. In that new creation, there will be no more sin because we will see God for who He is and we will want nothing more. We will be satisfied with His goodness. And so through His death on the cross, Christ has eternally rescued us and delivered us from sin and death and the evil one and will one day bring us into His glorious presence. That is the free gift of eternal life. That is the gracious promise of our Redeemer, the eternal rescue. There's also the daily rescue. And so we just considered the the big picture, you know, the the cosmic scale, the the view at 50,000 feet. But to fully understand the purpose of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we need to zoom in. Uh, we need to scale down to a much more practical level. That's daily life, right? Because the gospel is not just about getting and going to heaven. It is about the daily rescue of, of grace that brings about a life of joy and peace and holiness. You need to know that Paul is writing to believers. Paul is writing to people who have actually accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe he is the Savior Uh, They believe in him. And in theory, they may have believed and said they believed in God's grace. And we say that. I say that all the time. We believe in God's grace. But in practice, you and I and the Galatians often, regularly, neglect and forget God's grace. And we subtly turn to our own works. We turn to what we do And not what Christ has done. And so somehow the Galatian Christians were thinking they needed to move beyond the cross. Even though they had heard and received the gospel. They were reverting back to following the law in order to feel significant about themselves. Now we know about grace in theory. But we are much like the Galatians. Uh, we tend to validate our existence. We, we, we tend to be, get our confidence from what we do or what we've done. Some of us find our confidence and our significance in our job, our vocation, our resume, our bank statement. Some of us find confidence in our religious works, right? Uh, how, how, many church, how many groves do you go to? You know, how, much, how much tithe do you do? Can you dress like Doug does, you know? Some of us find significance in our physical health, in our beauty. But our eternal and daily significance is not based on what we do. For that would always fall far short of the glory of God. The message of Galatians and the message of the gospel is that our significance is based on what Christ has done. And that is something that you and I need to learn every day. Luther said we need to relearn the gospel every day. So this morning, I was, uh, this, this, excuse me, this summer, I was able to do some reading, and I read a book on World War I. Between 1914 and 1918, 700 million artillery and mortar sh- uh, shells were fired on the Western Front. Okay, 700 million. 15% of those didn't go off. <laughs> And so about 100 million mortar shells were stuck and left in the western front of of France and Germany. In fact, in 1991, uh, 73 years after the war, 36 people were killed that year from uh, these bombs going off. And even today in certain parts of France, they have big yellow signs that, that, you know, enter at your own risk. Our hearts are like those fields on the western front. The war is over. Christ's victory in the cross and, and the resurrection of the dead assures us of this promise of life to come. He is victorious over sin, death, and, and Satan. But we still have little bombs in our hearts. We're not yet in that new creation. Christ has not yet come. Most of you here this morning aren't yet dead. <laughs> is anybody dead? I don't know. So we're in that in-between time. And in that in-between time, we still have bombs in the field of our heart and sometimes those bombs just explode right how many of you ever had this experience right you get up in the morning maybe you you stretch you get out your bible maybe even you do a little reading you do some prayers and it's going to be a good day right then you walk down to the breakfast table and maybe the kids say something or do something they shouldn't have done and you just go off just, you just lose it, right? Maybe you're driving down the parkway and someone cuts you off and you, you honk that horn like, like road rage. You ever had anything like that? Right? Somewhere along the way in our routine, uh, our sin bombs go off. Right? Some of us explode hurting others. Some of us implode. Um, We have bombs of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. In our hearts, there are leftover grenades of of bitterness and self-pity. We have artillery shells of fear and anxiety. Maybe you've got the jealousy bomb when you see your neighbor's new car. So what do we do? What do we do with that leftover sin, that, that artillery uh, arsenal its still in our hearts. How do you face sin every day? How do you handle the sin that you see in your life and the life of those around you? You've got some options. Option number one, you can give up in despair. You can get overwhelmed and say, I'll never be a Christian like that. I'll never be the Christian I'm supposed to be. I'll never change, right? And you give up on yourselves. You give up on the church. You give up on God maybe. So when faced with sin, you can turn to despair. Option number two, try harder, right? Buckle down, get more serious about Bible devotions. Don't miss a single grove. Promise yourself you will never, ever, ever do this again, right? Get your act together. When you're faced with, with sin, turn to the law, That's what the Galatians were doing. Option number three, look to the cross. Behold once again that Jesus gave himself for you and delivered us from the present evil age, that he has rescued us, that he has declared us righteous, and he has adopted us as God's child. And so we cry out once more in that moment, in that hour, help me, rescue me. When faced with sin, we can turn to Christ. Well, the gospel answer is option number three. We need to look to Christ, and we need to be rescued every day. Even Paul in Romans 7 talks about his own battle with sin. He says, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I should do. And he says, who will rescue me? (laughs) Who will rescue me from this battle of sin? And the answer, he says, is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's why Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 14 of this letter of Galatians, in a very important verse, I think, he says, The life I now live, right now, the life I'm living, in that in-between time before Christ comes or before I die, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What will you do when that sin sin bomb goes off this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow morning? What will you do? Where will you turn? We turn to Jesus. And hear this. He will meet you. Jesus lives to intercede. Hebrews 4 encourages us to draw with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. When we need to be rescued, Christ delivers and rescues. We look to the cross for that all-sufficient and all-sustaining grace. A grace that not only gets us and promises eternal life, A grace that only removes all the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future, but a grace that meets us and empowers us day in and day out. And so we sing, repeatedly, but often forget, "'Tis grace that brought me me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." So it's an eternal rescue, and it's a daily rescue. Now quickly, the, the, the goal and the heart of the rescue What is the goal? It is simply the glory of God. In verse 5, Paul breaks out into praise and doxology. After declaring what God has done through Christ, namely deliver us, what does he write? He ascribes all the glory to God. It's all about God. Salvation is the work of God. He planned it. He initiated it. He carried it through. It's his work. It's his gift to us. He gets all the glory. When a fire and rescue crew, you know, saves someone or rescues someone from a, from a house or whatever, who, who, who's the hero? It's the firefighter. It's the one who does the rescuing. What about our work? What, what is our work in all this? Our work is to cry out, Help. <laughs> Our, wo- our work is to say, I believe in God's grace and power to save me eternally and daily. Our work is to trust God to intervene. Our work is a work of faith. But God is the rescuer, rescuer and he gets all the glory. Westminster, the Westminster Catechism summarizes it well. It says, what is the chief purpose of our lives? You know this. To glorify God and enjoy him forever to glorify God for the salvation that he's brought about for us this gift but to enjoy it and to enjoy him when it comes to life and ministry and service in the church really in anything we do we always are going to have mixed motives we have kinky motives (laughs) but it would be good to regularly ask ourselves what is my concern for the glory of God in my life how much am I led and concerned by my own comfort and well-being versus God's glory? I think that the only worthwhile and sustaining motive in gospel Christianity is the glory of God. And Jack Miller, who was a form, former professor of Westminster, said, Getting the glory of Christ before your eyes and keeping it there is perhaps the greatest possible work of the Spirit. The goal of this great rescue is God's glory. And then lastly, the heart of the rescue. As you will see as you study Paul's letter to the Galatians, he is extremely passionate. He is adamant. He is intense. He holds no punches with the Galatians. But it all flows out of his desire for them to know the grace and peace of God. Notice in verse 3, it's a prayer in the form of a greeting, but it is a prayer. Grace and peace to you. That's what Paul wants for them. That's why Paul is writing to them. That the Galatian churches would, would know and experience and enjoy each day the grace and peace of God. That grace that is the unmerited gift of rescue, the gift of salvation. But he also wants them to enjoy the peace of God. And peace here is not just the absence of anxiety or worry. It is here being at peace with God. Which comes out of the grace that we received at the cross. That we can be reconciled to God. That we can be at at, at the most wonderful terms with our maker and creator. That we could sing, it is well with my soul. My sin, not in part, but in whole. It's been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Our God loves us. Your God loves you. Do you believe that? Do you live that way? Christ gave himself that you might know the grace and the peace That comes from God our Father. The fight of faith is not to trust in other things or other people. The fight of faith is not to rely on ourselves, but to rest in the love of God. To rest daily what God has done for us eternally in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of this letter. That is the heart of the gospel. Think about it, believe it, and enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son to rescue us. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for meeting with us each day as we face sin in our lives. And even in the lives of others, as we face anxiety and as we face evil, give us the courage, give us the faith to look to the cross, to look to Christ, to cry out and to expect his intervention. May we rest in your grace and may we enjoy your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.